Thank you. Thank you very much. This is, I'm, I'm looking forward to tonight. And uh, do I have your permission to take my time? Yes. All right. I just want to make sure that that's okay because I'm not, I'm not predicting a three-hour service, but I am going to get my message out. Uh, it's, it's important, I believe. It's, it's for you. I know that beyond a shadow of doubt. I had two sessions with the Lord today that was, that was really good. And um, two, two, about two separate two-hour sessions. And he talked to me about you a little bit. I had some dreams last night, so I want to just kind of comment on that at first. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to ground a lot of what I shared last night in the Word of God. And I'm going to, the Lord willing, lay a direction in front of us as to what we're going to be doing. You'll notice I'm moving over here because we're going to use the PowerPoint. That's why I'm, I'm not shying away from you that much over in that group, but I'm just moving a little bit so they can see. I, I will say this about Stephen Shelley. You know, Stephen is, has become a good friend of mine. And, and we, uh, you won't find two people that came from two f- spectrum as, as far as part of they did to end up in the same place. Stephen was raised by a Pentecostal holiness grandmother. He never did anything, well, you know, we used to have a saying in Alabama, I hope it doesn't offend you, but they used to, it's a little religious thing, they used to say, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. Well, anyway, come back, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Steve didn't do any of those things. He, he was raised by a Pentecostal holiness grandmother, was raised in the church all of his life, never did any of the things that, that he, he lived a very protected life by the, by the grace of God. And let's just suffice it to say I didn't come up that way. And I was an athlete, and we knew nothing about God. I had absolutely no understanding or concept of God. I had a visitation at the age of 12. I didn't know to call it that. I was, at the age of 12, I was about to go through a really, really, really rough segment of my life. And the Lord, and I was standing at a window, and a cloud came down and started talking to me. <laughs> True story. And, and, and I didn't... He started, you know, preparing my heart, you know, and he, he made himself known to me. He didn't call himself by name. He didn't say, I'm the Lord Jesus Christ. I, my mother, while I'm sitting there having this conversation with this cloud, <laughs> my mother walks past the door, and I thought to myself, what will I tell her I'm doing if she asks? And the, and the Lord said, tell her you're talking to God. That's what he called himself. And in that experience, the Lord set some parameters in my life that gave me an awareness of God, but I had no understanding of it. Never heard the phrase, born again. We rarely went to church. I, my, whole, my dad was a, quite a scoundrel. He's in heaven now. Praise the Lord. He is in heaven. I, he literally died with me giving him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation in the year 2005. It was a bizarre story. You have to know him. He was one of these guys that every, his funeral was the largest funeral in that region of where we live this in the history of the region i mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came and uh, he was very popular and he was a great athlete and but he was he was tough to live with as a, in the as a family member I'll, I'll leave it there but you know that visitation at 12 got me through those years and then the lord began to deal with me in 1989 about what i'm sharing with you right now and I began to have experiences that I didn't even have a paradigm for. I didn't even understand them. I was being caught up in these places that I didn't even know existed. And I was seeing things. You have to understand I was living in a state called Mississippi. And, and uh, it's a very rural state for the most part. 
Uh, I was in business doing really well when this began, but the Lord began to show me things, and it's what we preach now. The essence of what we preach now, I would begin to experience, and I began to discover these realms in the Spirit that I didn't have language for, but I would come out of that experience, and I would find it in the Word. I would find the revelation of what was taking place in the Word. Then I said, well, Lord, where is somebody that did it? And invariably, someone would bring me a book about Catherine Kuhlman or about Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth was one of the first that I cut my teeth on. The very first man was Kenneth Hagin. And he so often quoted and commented about Smith Wigglesworth, one of your own, that I bought everything I could find on Smith Wigglesworth. I was in business then, I had some money. And when I discovered somebody, I bought everything that person did. And uh, no matter who it was, I have hundreds of audio cassette tapes of Catherine Kuhlman. I bet I have one of the more extensive libraries of most, I would think. Of course, now most things are on MP3. But the Lord was beginning to teach me about prototypes. That every one of these people that we talk about of this nature, they are a prototype of what's coming. And the Lord gave them to us as a gift to be able to analyze and scrutinize and, and understand the walk they had and discover the mysteries and the secrets of what they walked in so that we as a generation could do it. Not just one or two Smith Wigglesworths. There's going to be hundreds of them running around. I hope they don't all punch people in the stomach, but I mean, that's, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be out there. And I had a scripture for you in that regard today, and I really felt that it was very specific for this meeting. I feel like it's for you in the UK. And I want to emphasize one thing. It's out of Deuteronomy chapter 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. Now, here's what the Lord said. And, and we have lost this to some degree. But what he was saying to me this afternoon, in your regard, is about your heritage. The secret things belong to God, but, but anything that has ever been revealed belongs to us forever. What Moses walked in belongs to you. If God ever did it, he will always do it. If he ever visited as a pillar of cloud, he will always come to somebody if they will somehow meet him. on The, the secret things are his, but anything that was ever revealed always belongs to us, and somehow we lose it. You know, someone like a Smith Wigglesworth or, a, or, or whomever, you know, Mariah Woodworth Edder walked in unique signs and wonders. No one else has had the same kinds of signs and wonders that she did, but if it was ever revealed, it will always be revealed. Somebody's going to pick it up. Every aspect of our inheritance, if God ever came down to meet with man, and if he ever walked with Enoch, he's going to walk with somebody else before this thing's over with. See, if he ever did it with anybody, it is a revealed attribute of the nature and the character of God and how he will deal with his covenant people in any aspect of anything that he has ever revealed. The Bible says it's forever. It's for your children and our children forever and forever. And yet so little of us walk in what we have seen demonstrated by some of the great champions of the past. And my question is why? And that was what came to me as I was waiting on the Lord today. He's, it's a challenge to you to begin, some of you, to begin to pick up some of these great mantles, if you want to use that term. These great deposits, these walks, these unique signs and wonders, whatever it is. And, and I'm of the belief that if it's in you to do it, then it was put there for a reason. The Bible says the deep calls to the deep. And if you're hungry for something, that something has to be out there or you wouldn't hunger for it. That's a proven fact medically. If you're hungry for an apple, 
There better be an apple out there or you wouldn't hunger for it. If you're hungry to see God, then, then the, the opportunity must exist for you to be able to do it or you wouldn't hunger for it. Now, I'm not talking about these little passing fancies, you know what I mean? I'm not talking about where someone comes along and they preach a great message and you, you want that. But the next time another preacher comes along, well, you decide you want that instead of that now. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that's so deep in you that you can't shake it. You can't get rid of it. You wake up with it in the morning, you go to bed with it at night. I got some of those. I mean, the things I've had for 20 years, and, I, and, and they just won't leave me. Whether encouraged or discouraged, I wake up in the morning, and, and I, God, I want to see you. I mean, that's my deal. I want to see the Lord <laughs> more often than I have. I, I believe God can live in me and you and do something. I believe it. And that's been my belief from 1989 to the present hour. It's been, even when I was ignorant, more ignorant than I am now. But in 1989, when I didn't really know anything, I even, I began to believe that, you know what, if you ever did it, you will do it again. That was the revelation that revolutionized my life. That if you ever did it, he will always do it. That changed a little old Southern Baptist guy that didn't know anything about God whatsoever, except that I loved him. He put that in me at the age of 12. I would not be living right now had that not occurred. There's no question about it. I had one death experience that happened, and I was gone about 10 minutes, and my own little brother had to come along to find me. I had a car wreck, and uh, it was carelessness. It was right before, right before I started to step into the call of my life. Isn't that amazing how that happens? I hit a hickory tree doing 90 miles per hour. That's not good. I don't know if you know about hickory trees, but they don't move. I hit it so hard that both of my front tires broke off at the axle. I did not have a seatbelt on. I bent the steering wheel all the way back to the dashboard, burst out the windows. I was lying out the passenger side, and the car was on top of me. And my brother came along and found me, and I was gone. And I knew it. I mean, I, I was in a place that felt wonderful. I mean, it felt really, really good. I was conscious of two things. I was not aware that I'd been in an accident. I was conscious that I was feeling the most incredible peace the most, and I was, I was between. I knew that. I was not in heaven, but I was not in my body. I was very aware of it. There isn't a term to describe what that feels like. The, the, the glory of it. There isn't. I wasn't even in heaven, but it was the most wonder. There's no drug on the earth that can ever make you feel that way. There isn't. And it was about 10 minutes, and then I was back in my body, and, and I crawled out from under the car without so much as a bruise on my body. True story. True story. And, and I, I, carry, I carry with me the picture of the car as a reminder. <laughs> I'm here for a reason. Because there's, you know, by the grace of God, I would not be living right now. That's true. And so anyway, uh, the word I'm sharing with you is if there is anything that you have observed that God has done that has somehow brought life to your soul, contend for it. It's yours. If it's ever been revealed. And listen, there is, this nation is rich with heritage. Rich with heritage. I'm, talk, I'm, I'm talking about going way back, even to some of the mystics and some of the people that lived, you know, dur even during the Dark Ages, those hidden champions. Though they didn't have the written word, the living word showed up. That's even better. <laughs> you know, we have the reports now that are coming out by some of the archives that are being released of these mystics that had encounters with the Lord during the worst period of human history imaginable. And yet the Lord himself made him, he will make his word known. If, we, if he didn't have, they didn't have the written word, he made himself known as the living word. But let me move quickly because I don't want to take too much time on this because this is not my message. But I had two dreams last night, and I want to say at the outset, I assume this is being recorded, of course. But I submit them to you. 
I'm just going to submit them because I haven't had the time to dissect them. I know they had meaning. Um, one of them in particular I think is going to be pretty clear. The other I'm, uh, I'm going to submit, let you analyze it. I think I have some understanding about it. But I had a very difficult time getting to sleep last evening. And finally about 2 in the morning when I did, immediately I was confronted by an evil spirit. Immediately. Now, Revelation for me, just so you understand, it comes in, a, in, in different ways. But I dream every night. Every single night I dream, but not all dreams are from God. You know that. Most of our dreams are the soul. But for whatever reason, God allows me to, when I wake up, remember all my dreams. I can remember them, and, and, and I either can record them as soon as I remember them, or I can just hit the delete button, and I'll never remember them again. It's just the way God deals with me. Most of what I teach came, though, in a different way from dreams. It came in, a, in ex, what I call experiences, where the Lord himself, whether in open visions or he actually takes you someplace and you see it. But this was a dream. I want to make clear what it was. It was a dream. I was, I was asleep. But as soon as I went into to that realm of sleep, I was confronted by an evil spirit. And he came at me in the form of a cobra. I don't know if you know much about symbolism, but for me, the cobra represents a, a controlling, critical, religious spirit. And he was mad at me. So I know we did something last night. Something, so we, something And I say we, not me, we. I believe it takes agreement. It takes us coming to a place of consolidated faith to shift the heavens. And yet, and if you're not familiar with our ministry, we do a lot of personal ministry, but a, a lot of times the Lord, by His grace, will let us shift the heavens. He'll give us something, and if I can build your faith up to a place, and together we can release a word in the atmosphere, something shifts. You know, a realm of darkness no longer has the hole that it had or, or some parameters are established in the spirit realm or, or all of a sudden the heavens open. We've had wonderful reports of certain places where literally in churches the heavens open and angels started appearing. Literally. People literally with their open eyes during services seeing angels. So this is really what we're after. You know, it's one thing, it's wonderful to bless an individual, but isn't it greater when we open the heavens? See? And, and something in the heavenly realm is shifted and, and some, uh, the strong man is bound. What? Then you can plunder his house. See? So anyway, this, this, this big cobra was mad. Mad. And he was fat. Very, very fat. Unnaturally so. I don't think cobras can look the way this one does. But this is symbolic in nature, so I, I, I acknowledge that. But he rose right up and... and, and he he was he wanted he wanted to strike me, and he was so big that when he rose up and and spread his hood, you know, he was eyeball to eyeball. But he was he was about that far away from me, and something told me, "Don't worry, he cannot strike you." So I, I knew that the Lord had a parameter of protection around me, and uh, but then he said, "But don't." Then this voice speaking to me said, "But don't let him spit in your eyes." Now remember, a cobra can spit venom, and and I knew. That, that there is a parameter being put around. And I, I feel like, this is my interpretation, but you, you, I'm submitting it to you. But I feel like this is even talking about the intercessors. That there's going to be a parameter around you, but don't let him close the eyes of the revelatory people. Don't let him spit in the eyes of the people that need to see. Because that's what he's at. He can't kill you. He can't strike you. He can't inject the venom, but he's going to try to spit at you. But I will say this. He was very fat. That means he's been feeding well. This is a religious spirit. It's a, it's a cobra. It's a religious spirit. And he was 14 feet long. 
Now, this, all this information gets just communicated when you're in one of these type things. Now, to me, generally, something of that nature, a foot is 12 inches and a year is 12 months. So I feel like whatever this thing is, it's been functioning for about 14 years. That would take it back to around 1994, 1995, right in that range. It's been, it's been operating for about 14 years. I feel like it's been feeding on Christians. I believe it's been feeding on people's vision. I believe, it, I believe when people try to raise up with some, some measure of anointing or some revival or some vision or some strategy, this is a critical controlling religious spirit and it, it, would, it would overcome it somehow and, and feed off of it. But I'm telling you this, there's a scripture in the Bible, Psalm chapter 74, I believe it is. 74:14. It says this, thou must thou dost cr- crush, thou dost cut the head off of the leviathan. Yes. Then he becomes food for the people. Yes. The very thing, the very thing that's trying to destroy you, the Lord says when you cut the head off that thing, then he's what you actually use to feed the people with. And see this this has many far-reaching app. I have a teaching on it. The gifts, for instance. How do you know most psychics are actually prophetic? They're just, it's unsanctified. The head hasn't been cut off of that thing, you see? It's a gift they were born with, but, but, it, but it, the head's not cut off. But once you cut the head off, then the gift feeds the people. You see, it becomes sanctified. Musical gifts are, 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 are very much that way. But here is, here is the second, and this went on for hours. So the, the second aspect of the revelation was when, I, when he couldn't attack me, and I protected myself so he couldn't spit in my eyes to, to, to block off vision, I watched people that were trying to uh, charm him. And I watched people that were not professionals going up to this thing and trying to catch it by the head, snake handling type stuff. And I watched as some people tried to, what's the term, um, domesticate this serpent. And there are some things that are not built to be domesticated. You, the only good thing about a, about a cobra is to cut his head off. Yeah. I'm talking about in the spirit realm. Yeah. I'm not saying go out and cook. You know, don't, don't have the environmentalists call me. I'm not, I'm not talking in the natural. I'm talking in the spirit. We cannot befriend the spirit. You understand that? You can't play with it. You can't charm it. You can't, you know, try to catch it and display it. It has to be destroyed. So I really feel like some authority is being given to your intercessors to begin to destroy the spirit to cut the head off of it. And I think a lot of people are bound by it. A lot of people are bound by it. I feel compelled to share something just to give you the, uh, I, I, I will share this one with you just cause I feel like it's so important. I really feel like this, let me just, I'll be very, very quick, but, uh, most of you know, Bob Jones, right? Bob Jones uh, has become a friend of ours. He became a friend of ours in 1994. First time I met him was in May of 1994. My friend Bobby Connor and I did a conference. Really, Bobby was the pastor, but, but Bobby and I were very good friends. I helped him get hooked up with Bob Jones and, and because I knew who Bob was, although I had not met him, and I, I knew a little bit about his history and what have you. And So Bobby connects with Bob. We have a conference in Bullard, Texas, uh, in Bobby Connor's church. And so this is the very first time I've ever met Bob. And I'm thinking, this is the strangest man I've ever met in my life. I mean, that bar none. I'm, I'm, I just can't even begin to tell you what all was going on. And I remember the very first, the very first time I met him, within one hour. And, and have you ever seen Bob? Y'all ever saw? Okay. 
Well, at the very first meeting, I mean, we meet each other in the parking lot of a restaurant. We go into a restaurant, and in Texas, they have these restaurants where you can eat peanuts and throw the hulls on the floor. And so we're in one of those, and Bob is across the table from me, and I'm thinking, this is the strangest man I've ever met. And all of a sudden, he's looking at me, and he's talking about people that live below God's best. And, and so in one hand, he had a steak knife, greasy. In the other hand, he had a chicken breast. And he was shaking this chicken breast at me, and I realized he was prophesying to me. This is a true story. And I realized he was, he was pointing his greasy chicken breast. At, and I'm a little sophisticated, but this, is, this was out there. He's shaking it, and he was prophesying about living in the high, in the high calling of God, in the highest, and not living under God's best. And he's all that. And then he said this, and he says, you don't ever have to worry about pride. God knows how to burst your bubble. <laughs> and he stuck that steak knife up in my face. So <laughs> that was the very first night. The next day, I, I'm going to move quickly now. The next day, that night I had a dream, very similar to the one I had just now. And, uh, and I didn't understand it at all. And, and the next day I had to drive Bob Jones to Bobby Connor's house. We were in a van. Nobody else was in the car. I'm in the driver's seat. Bob's in the passenger seat. We pull up in the driveway. We're waiting on someone to come out. And, and there was this awkward silence. And, and for Bob, that's really rare. And I didn't know that then. But you know how when you're sitting there, you just met the guy, and nobody's talking, and there's this weird feeling. So I was trying to think of something to talk about and couldn't think of anything. The only thing I could think of, I said, you know, I had a strange dream last night. He said, really? Tell me about it. I said, well, I, I was standing on the bank of a river. And I saw water flowing in the river, and I saw this serpent swimming across the river. He said, okay, I know what that is. I said, okay. And so he, I said, the serpent is swimming across. All I could see was his head. I said, and a man dove in the water. He said, yeah, that's me. Talking about himself. And I said, and right behind him, another man dove in the water, right behind him, chasing the serpent. He said, yeah, that's Bobby. Keep going. So... I said, well, the serpent got just about to the other side of the river, and the two men caught him, and they grabbed the serpent around the head, and all of a sudden, the water was just churning. The snake was rolling. You, have, you seen an alligator, how they, this thing was going, and I, I said, one minute, you, the two men were on top, the next minute, they're underwater. They're back on top, water was churning. I said, this went on for a couple of minutes, and all of a sudden, I saw an arm come up out of the water by one of the men with a sword in his hand. He held it straight up in the air and brought the sword down on the head of the serpent. I said, when he did that... The body of the serpent that had been in the water straightened out like a board. And I realized it was yards wide. It straightened out like a board. And the, and the tail of it fell into the top of a tree on the bank. And the weight of the serpent was so great that it toppled the tree over and the roots of the tree were exposed. He said, I know exactly what it means. I'm like, well, I'm glad you do. Because I don't have a clue. True story. I didn't have, we went to the service that night. Bobby and Bobby and Bob were sitting on the on the platform in a chair. I'm sitting right here. All of a sudden, in the middle of the service, Bob Bobby jumps up and he starts to declare, so "There are there are witches and warlocks that are releasing curses against this meeting right now. Actually, doing sacrifices, animal sacrifices. So, without anybody orchestrating it, every person in the room stood up and started interceding." Just a sovereign, blanketed anointing fell on the whole room. People started interceding. I have it on video. I have this video at home. And we didn't know it, but three witches were sitting right over here. And it's on the video that when the, the saints started interceding, the witches jumped up and ran out of the church. 
And so this went on for quite a while, and a man named Mickey Robinson, you probably know uh, Mickey Robinson, some of you, walked over to Bob and I. Well, by the way, this is on the video. I'm standing there watching all this, not connecting it to my dream. And Bob walks over and he says, this is your dream right now. This was the part of catching the thing by the head. Bob and Bobby had been up on the stage, the two of them, remember? This is when the thing's twirling around. So while Bob is standing in the aisle talking to me right here, Mickey Robinson comes over and says, there's a Jewish man here who feels like the Lord has given him a dance to break this spirit. Would you release it? We said, yes, go for it. So this guy wrapped himself in a prayer shawl, and he had a sword. It's on video. We have it. And so he did this Hebrew dance. I couldn't, I sure can't show you. But, it, but you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was sovereign. It was holy. It really was. And he had this, this, this prayer shawl wrapped around his shoulders. He had this, this King Solomon sword. And he did this whole dance. And nobody told him anything. Nobody knew about this but Bob and I. And he stopped right in the middle of the church. He knelt down and he raised the sword up in the air and held it just like that. Identical to what I see in the dream. And all of a sudden, he brought the sword down, and literally, you could hear demons scream. I mean, I found out later some other things. There was a a witch in the the foyer. We didn't know any of this was going on, but it it broke that spirit. Now, here's, here's the kicker. So as soon as the spirit was broken, we went into a prayer line. Now, there were six or 700 people there, probably. And so... We have a a prayer line, Bob is here, I'm here, and people are literally coming by and we're praying for them. And we were seeing deliverances on on a mass scale. And it wasn't any of this, you know, laying hands and and, and casting devils out for 10 minutes. This was laying hands, praying, and they were free instantaneously, one after another, one after another, one after another. And I noticed that many of the people that were being free were young women. And and I, I, I said, I leaned over to Bob and I said, Bob, I said, why are so many of these people that are demonized women? He said, this is the last part of your dream. He said, remember when that serpent went up into the tree and it knocked the tree over and the roots of the tree were exposed? He said, every one of these we're setting free are involved in the witchcraft because of their family tree. Their parents or their grandparents had introduced them to the occult and that generational curse had been handed down one generation to another and one was being, was being set free after another. A lot of, now, my, the whole point is you cut the... Oh, I didn't... I left out the most important thing. When the serpent straightened out and his body fell into the top of the tree, the belly of it was split open and people came out. People came out. And Bobby Connery, the next time he's here, ask him about him, this, and he'll tell you what, some things that happened in his region after that happened. So the point is, you bind the strong man and plunder his house. You cut the head off of the Leviathan, he becomes food for the people. I believe there are key people in, the, in your region that are bound. They're bound by religion. They're bound by this critical religious spirit. But when you cut the head off of it, they're going to come out of its belly. And you're going to see some key people that have, been, that have been influenced by a religious spirit coming into the river, coming into the very thing that you're, you're contending for. So I, I hope that gives you, you uh, intercessors some strategy. So um, the last thing, and I, I, this is another dream. I, I need to move fast because I, want, I don't want to be in a hurry on what I want to share. But, but this last dream, I do think it's important because I believe I have things in a place because it pertains to that place. But I also believe this is pertinent to our nation. But 
The other, the other dream happened right before I woke up, and usually what I have right before I wake up is always prophetic. But I was, <clears throat> I was in this dream with my natural father, who's, who's deceased, he's in heaven. But he, we were going adjacent to some property that we supposedly owned, and as we were doing that, we looked over and there were trespassers on the property. And they were cutting down trees, and we were indignant. I was upset. So I, we pulled over, and we're going to stop them. And my father was more calm than I am, which was kind of reverse of the order. But anyway, you know, I, I'm, I grabbed this big hickory stick, and I'm going to go deal with them. And, and, and the, you have to understand, that's not talking about my nature now. It's talking about the kingdom of heaven suffers violent, and the violent take it by force. And so I, I, I walked, and there was three men, and they were cutting down these big, beautiful oak trees that were on our property. Now, what is, a, what is the righteous considered? An oak planted by a river. And so I walked to the foreman and I had this stick and I was just indignant. I said, what, what do you think, you know, what do you think you're doing? And it was as though he had some authority to cut down trees over here, but he got presumptuous and came over on my property to cut down some trees that, that weren't, he didn't have the authority for. And I took that stick and I wrapped him on top of the head, just hit the, knocked the stew out of him. But I was grieved, and this is what I believe it means. I know it's been prophesied that there are people going home, and, and, and I believe that's probably true. But I tell you what, I'm not going to let them go home easy. I believe the enemy wants to overstep his boundary and take some people home early that it's not their time to go. It's been prophesied that certain people that may have lived in the prior generation that are elderly, it's time to go. And, and, and so if we have a prophetic word, well, it's their time to go. We're not going to really fight for them. You know what I mean? We're not going to contend for their life. And, and the enemy is going to take that and try to bring home a few who have not finished their course. And I really feel like that's true here. So my deal is if somebody you know that's in leadership that, you know, that still may have some, some meat on the bone, <laughs> may have some life left in them, fight for them. Don't, don't let them go home easy. I've broken the spirit of death off of Bob Jones twice. The last time, last December, one year ago this past December, he would, the doctor told his wife he would not live to see it the next morning. And he lived through the night. I went there that morning. Nobody was there. He was in intensive care. It was a miracle of miracles. He was in a big hospital in Charlotte. <clears throat> and I knew it wasn't his time. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, he's 78 years old, he's lived a full life, you know, he's prophesied, let him go home. No, absolutely not. I wasn't, and so I, I went up into the, my wife was so scared of what I was doing, she didn't even go in there, but I walked right up on the intensive care floor. Bonnie was not there. I could see through all the doors, Bob, with all this, everything, everywhere there was a place to put a tube, there was one. And I walked right in there, went right into this security area. Not one nurse saw me. Not one person said a word. I walked over, laid my hands on Bob, and broke the spirit of death. And they said, that day, everything turned around. I'm not saying I did it. There may have been a thousand intercessors interceding, you know, and I just happened to be, but I'm telling you, I, I was just, it was not time. And so I want you to be jealous for your loved ones, jealous for your leaders. Don't give up anybody without a fight. If, if you see someone because they're oaks and we need them. Amen. All right. Lord Jesus, just bless this meeting tonight. Overshadow us with your anointing and with the spirit of revelation. God, I pray that tonight a, a spirit of faith would fall on these people, that they would begin to believe for the destiny of their generation. 
they would begin to believe for the destiny of this region, that we'd begin to see the storehouses coming into being, we'd begin to see the laborers coming into the storehouse, we'd begin to see the equipping of the saints, that we'd see a body of people emerging who become the habitation of heaven, who do the greater works. Grant it, Lord. I surround this place with the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ. That no lying, deceiving, confusing spirit would have any place here. Lord, let there be a canopy. You know what? I just feel like we got some authority. We just break that religious spirit over this region in the name of the Lord Jesus. I say no to your schemes. I say no. May every intercessor in this room be energized with the anointing of God to begin to cut the head off of that spirit. We claim everyone that's been deceived, everyone that has been bound by that lying, controlling, religious spirit, we break the power of it and we call them in. We call the people in that you have your hand upon, Lord. We call them in by the blood of Jesus Christ. May you send the angels that gather to bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in. Now there's some authority on that. You need to hold on to that and keep doing it. Keep striking the ground until you have the victory in it. I believe the Lord has ordained for a measure of victory in this very near season for you in the, in the issue of this religious spirit. It's, it's religious, it's controlling, and it's critical. That's the three things I saw. Religious, controlling, and critical. But there are some key people bound by it. So amen. <clears throat> well, what I want to talk to you about tonight, and um, I want to move rapidly, and I know I'll say some things that probably one statement I might make could be a whole sermon. Uh, I'm just going to trust the Lord to help us to, to get it out. But it's, uh, the, the title of it is called The Feast of the Open Book. And, and the essence is that, that we have been hearing from the prophetic community for some time now that there is about to be transition, right? Major change. And, and I agree with that. I've, I've written it myself a number of times, but the Lord began to say, well, you know, it might behoove you to understand where you're headed. <laughs> you know, you might want to contend with me to find out what you're transitioning into. And so the Lord began over a series of revelations and began to show me what we're transitioning out of and what we're transitioning into. And so this is a broad, a broad word, and it's not a word necessarily that will be completely fulfilled in a year. I think it'll be, I think it's going to be in two seven-year segments. You're going to see the, the fullness of this coming. But one thing is a certainty. There is a shift, and I even believe Lakeland plays a part in it. Did I share last night what the Lord spoke to me about Lakeland? I can't remember if I shared it here or Manchester. Okay. Very quickly, because this, this leads into what I want to share about tonight. But when Lakeland began, I felt like we had a little bit of a, of a, of a part to play in that because um, <clears throat> Rick Joyner and I hosted a conference called Honoring the Fathers. Rick had a word that if we would honor the fathers, the Lord would release the spirit of revival. And so we honored the fathers. We honored William Branham. We honored A.A. A. Allen. We had invited Billy Graham, but he couldn't come. And uh, we invited Oral Roberts, and because of health, he couldn't come. But Richard Roberts came in his stead. And Richard Roberts told an amazing story of, of how there was a breakthrough moment in his father's life when after he had been in William Branham meetings, he and A. Allen, they began to have the tent meetings and had a measure of success. And they, were, they had thousands coming and they had a, he had a big tent where most of the people would come and sit and attend and he would pray for, for sick people. But in addition to that tent, he had a separate tent that was called, you know, that was the, 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 the gurney tent. 
cots and gurneys and wheelchairs, people that couldn't come into the main auditorium or the main tent were in this one. And when he completed praying for the people in the main tent, he would go to the next one. And so Richard Roberts was telling how there was a breakthrough moment, even though he had a measure of success before that, enough so that a thousand people or more were coming. He still did not have the breakthrough that we saw demonstrated during the 48, 49, 1950 years. And so he tells the story of how his father prayed in the main tent. And as was his custom, he went to the to the secondary tent, the tent with the gurneys and cots. And he walks in and and they took him right straight to the worst case. And it happened to be a man laying on a cot with a tumor that was so large that it was protruding through his belly came out of his skin, and the big tumor was laying on the outside of his body, laying on his chest. And they, they took him over. The man was barely alive. Old Roberts walked over to him, and when he leaned down to begin to pray for him, the stench of the tumor hit him. The gangrene stench tumor hit him, and he vomited. Right there next to him. And he was just humiliated, and he turned and started to walk out got about halfway to the door, and something arrested him and said, this is a showdown. Either you're going to walk out of here in defeat, or you're going to walk out of here in victory. He turned around, and I almost get emotional telling this, and he didn't lay hands on the man. He crawled up on the cot with him and laid on top of the tumor, prayed for the man, and God healed him. That broke through and launched him, and so we honored Oral Roberts, and a few weeks after that, Lakeland broke out. And I am convinced at the heart of that, God was in it. I, I know it was a God outpouring. I know people. I have pastor friends that I've ministered in their churches that have told me there were cancers healed. There were back problems healed. There were people with ovary issues that were healed. I mean, all manner of things were God. Only God can do that, right? And even if God just responded to this incredible worship that we saw demonstrated, you know, you worship God that way and he's going to show up. <laughs> And so there were many things. I don't want to take too much time on that. But I, I will say this. As soon as it began, I said, Lord, what is this? And he said, it's the last of the old order. And I'm like, thanks a lot, whatever that means. <laughs> the last of the old order. And of course, my thinking was, well, it's the last of the old voice of healing type meetings. You know what I mean? And so I went to Jerusalem and ministered in, in June. And a friend of mine from uh, Australia asked me what the Lord was telling about Lake. And I said, well, I haven't been. And, and the Lord hasn't let me go. I felt like I was somewhat responsible. I'm not, you know, I need to reword that. I felt like the Lord used us to play a part in releasing that to some degree because we honored the fathers. He said we'd release the spirit of revival, and that was a spirit of revival. You have thousands of people coming from around the world. That's a nice revival. And so he, he said, what's the Lord saying? I said, well, he told me it's the last of the old order, though I'm not completely sure of what it meant. He said, well, I'll tell you what he told me. It's the last Pentecostal revival. Now, don't get nervous, pastors. <laughs> Because stop thinking, there there are three major feasts in Israel. There's Passover, Pentecost, and there's what? Tabernacles. And if you study the feast, you discover that the only feast that allowed leaven was was Pentecost. So what's coming is going to be leaven-free. Now you do a study of history and you'll find that every revival had leaven. Living is the teaching of man. It's, it speaks of corruption I and mean, all the different symbol, symbolism. But even Martin Luther, when he brought the church out, he brought some leaven with him. When even John Wesley, one of your greats of all time, he brought there was some leaven. Why? Because it was progressive. 
It was a progressive unfolding of the redemptive nature of God, the restoration of the lost years. Even Azusa Street brought some leaven. Every revival has had measures of leaven, but everyone is also pruning out the leaven. And I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect. Don't misunderstand that at all. But I do believe you're about to see some people that are going to emerge that are clothed in a garment of humility that will not use the self-promotion, the techniques of man. They will not stand before the, the people trying to bring glory to themselves. They will almost be exactly what Smith Wigglesworth prayed all of his life, transparent, invisible. I don't know who had that meeting, but God showed up. Now, that's, that's the kind of meeting I want to have. If I could ever have a meeting like that. And, and that's the tabernacle's revival. And if we're ever going to do the greater works, the only way that can happen is for the Lord Jesus himself to be fully manifested in his bride doing those works. It is one thing. That, see, Pentecost was about gifts. And how many of you know we need Pentecost? My Lord, you know, you won't find anyone that has contended for the gifts any more than I have. I'm not going to say that. That's not, that's not probably true. There may be other people that have. But I didn't mean that the way it sounded. Nobody has done it the way I... No, that's not what I meant. What I meant was I've, I've been contending with the best of them. I'm just trying to stress to you the importance that I place upon the gifts is what I'm trying to do. But now I'm discovering over the last several years it's, it's wonderful to have the gift of healing. I want it. But it's even better to come in there with a healer. <laughs> See? What if the Lord, the healer himself, just came in? And see, and if you study history, and I'm encouraging you, do it yourself. You find out that those meetings where you hear these reports where everybody in the building was healed, you will invariably find that the manifest presence was there. They weren't functioning out of a gift of healing. We function out of a gift of healing until he shows up. You understand? But when the manifest, when the parousia when the pillar of fire comes, then the healer is present. And that's what William Branham functioned in. That's what Catherine Kuhn functioned in. That's what Mariah Woodworth Edder functioned in when hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in my nation were healed. In the, in the Mariah Woodworth Edder meetings. And they talked about the glory coming, becoming visible and tangible. I write about it in some of the meetings. And I began to a quest of understanding, you know, what that was all about. And the Lord said, they are forerunners of, of a whole generation that will experience the Feast of Tabernacles. They became forerunners. I tabernacled in them. See, if you understand the Jewish feast, the Feast of Tabernacles was, well, I'll, I'll tell you. You can go to the first screen. The Feast of Tabernacles was called, well, I'll back up one. I think I have another one before that, but maybe not. It's the Feast of Rest. It's the Feast of Glory. Yeah. It may not be on there, David. Don't worry about it. The Feast of Rest, the Feast of Glory, the Feast of Restoration, the Feast of His Appearing. These are the descriptive names. It is called the Feast of the Harvest. Every one of those phrases are end-time phrases. Every one of those redemptive attributes are associated with the consummation of the ages. When the Lord brings in the harvest, when He manifests His glory... When he reveals himself fully, when everything hidden is revealed, when all the secrets that had once been concealed are now revealed, they were hidden for a reason. I'm going to show you by the Bible 
that Daniel said that these secrets he saw by a visitation of Gabriel were to be held in reserve until the end of time generation. That means literally the people that are living on the earth at the time of the Lord's return, they are to be revealed. And so I want to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles because we're transitioning into it. And it's not going to be something that will take place overnight. It's going to be seasonal. And in fact, we've been in an overlap season already. Already, many of the prophetic ministers are starting to use this kind of a language. We're not using the same, on the whole, throughout the body of Christ. As a corporate group, there's a different language. Have you noticed that? You know, if you notice that so much, you know, even in my, you know, we don't talk so much about prophetic ministry now as much as the spirit of revelation. See, because in our minds, prophetic ministry was kind of pretty narrow. It was pretty much, you know, prophesying to individuals. Listen, the spirit of revelation covers the whole spectrum. You have the spirit of revelation, you're going to know this word like you never knew it before. (laughs) You have the spirit of revelation, you're going to find the strategies of God. You have the spirit of revelation, the heavens open. You have the spirit of revelation, angels appear. You have the spirit of revelation, you discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. You 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 manifest Hebrews 4.12. And in the, the feast of the seventh month, the feast of tabernacles is called the feast of the seventh month. And we're in that seventh day generation. We're in that period of time when we're, we're going to manifest. This is where so many of the theologians are having to rewrite some of the commentaries because so much had been put over, over into the millennium. But now we're discovering, oh no, this is what we have to do to introduce the millennium. Now they will never be fully manifest until the Lord comes, right? But there is a fantastic scripture that every one of you need to know before this week ends. You need to memorize it. It's not hard to memorize because it will characterize this entire generation from this point to the time the Lord returns. That we may taste the good word of God and the power of the age to come. The Bible said on this side of eternity, there will be a body of people that taste the good word. In other words, they're going to eat the word. And they're going to manifest a taste of millennial power. Not the fullness of it. That can't happen until the Lord himself comes down in all the eschatology and New Jerusalem and the whole works. But on this side of that event, you know what? My deal is everything on the other side of that event will take care of itself. I'm concerned about what I can get between now and then. Honestly, that, you know, what, what New Jerusalem looks like and what, how it's going to come down doesn't really matter to me. Because at that point, we're in good shape. It's all over. No more crying. No more tears. No more disappointments. No more nothing. If I, you know, we're, in, we're home free. And he can do whatever he wants to do then. We'll know as we are known. But until then, my quest is to find out everything that is ordained to be manifested in our generation before that comes. Not only ordained, not only is it it's not, uh, it's not optional. The Bible says heaven must retain him until there has been the restoration of all things. That tells me there must be people on this earth walking with him the way Adam did or he can't return. There must be the restoration of the fellowship that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. But heaven's going to retain him until that happens. And so if we want to spur on the return of the Lord, somebody better start walking with God. I mean that sincerely. And I can tell you unequivocally, the bride of Christ will. The bride of, there's something inherent, there's something that has been imparted to the bride of Christ. You can't help it, it's in there. 
I mean, when, when, when they hear a message like some of these that are coming out now, something in here comes to life. You can't press it down. It's going to come up. Why? All that the Father has given me will come. Nobody can take them from my hand. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> I happen to believe what he has to say, don't you? I'm not, I, I have more faith in him saying they're in my hand and I can take care of them than I do the devil to steal them. And there will be a bride of Christ in this end time generation that will know the fullness of everything that is represented in the Feast of Tabernacles. And just as surely as Passover was fulfilled by the Lord Jesus, just as surely as he rode in on that donkey, just like Zechariah said he would, just as surely as he received the lashes, just as surely as they did everything to him that all the prophets said they would do, just as surely as he was dragging the cross through the streets of Jerusalem, they were in the synagogue singing Psalms 22, Thou dost pierce my hands and my feet. Just as surely as all of those things were fulfilled, so will this. Just as surely as Pentecost had a literal fulfillment. If, if those two feasts had a literal fulfillment, wouldn't it mean that, that this one would? But if you even look at the language of everything we discuss in our, most of our vernacular, it is all about tabernacles. It's tabernacles language. And so I, I hope you have, I'm stressing the point. This is something I could preach an entire message on what I just shared in just a moment, but I, I don't have time to do that. So we'll go to the first screen now. Because what I want to emphasize is one aspect of this, of this reality, which is called the Feast of the Open Book. Because part of our mandate, and I know that the, the church of the UK are word people, and I am too. And, you know, the states, a lot of us have been a little bit overboard on spirit, you know, but, but now we're getting word and spirit people, you know, and, 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 the, and I feel like, you know, this is going to be something that will really speak to your generation because we're entering the span of time when everything that is to be revealed will be, that there won't be any secret, there won't be any seals on the book anymore. It's going to be fully opened and there'll be a body of people that eat it. Why do you eat it? Because you become what you eat. You are what you eat. You will become the living word. It will happen. You might say, well, you know, how long will it take? It may take us from now to the Lord returns, but I can tell you in this next seven-year period, between now and 2015, I believe you'll start seeing some of it this year. People are going to begin to emerge manifesting what I'm going to talk to you about. When Moses was 120, he passed the torch to Joshua, along with a renewal of the covenant with the new generation born in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 31. I'm now 120 years old. I'm no longer able to come and go. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord, next screen, it is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you and he will destroy these nations before you and you shall dispossess them and Joshua shall be the one to cross over before you. In August of 2005, I was right here in the UK and uh, <clears throat> I had done a, a conference in Bridgend, Wales, is that the right way to pronounce it? Bridgend, Wales. And because I was here, it was my first trip to Wales. I'd been to UK, you know, of course. I mean, I'd been to England, but I, my first trip to Wales. But I shared, you know, the perspective the Lord has given to us about history. And for, for me, the Lord showed me some time ago that modern Pentecost began right here in London, England. Not right here in England, in London. In a conference called the Beth Shen Conference on Holiness and Healing. Mariah Woodworth Edder and Alexander Dowie both pointed to that conference here in, in London as being the seedbed of modern Pentecost. And it was birthed out of revelations that came in the 1800s by Ethan Allen and others 
that there was this reality that holiness and healing were, were, were two sides of the same coin. That as a person's soul was healed of bitterness or of lying or of jealousy, as, as a person was delivered and walked in a realm of holiness, then their body began to be healed. That sickness was the result of, of some of these strongholds. That was the revelation they had. That's why it was called holiness and healing. But they began to discover that healing was the children's bread. It was not just, you know, some ministers began to contend for a healing anointing. And this conference was in, in London, and it, and it was for that purpose. And 2,000 people came from around the world, many of which came from America. Alexander Dowie didn't attend, but he sent representatives. And they discovered this reality that now was a time for a healing movement. <clears throat> well, he had already been moving in healing, in healing since he was in Australia. He, they had a plague in this city right outside of Sydney. And uh, <clears throat> not thousands, well, thousands of people were dying, but scores of people were dying in his church. He had buried, I think, something around 50 or 60 of his church members. You know, if you don't have a big church and you're burying 50 or 60, you get serious with God. Now, you, you pastor should have got that a little better. But anyway. <laughs> so one night after he buried someone, he went to his, to his study. And, and he said, the Bible fell open and a light shone upon Acts 10.38. Now, I don't know if a literal light or if that was a figurative phrase. We don't know. But we do know this. He read Acts 10.38 from a different view than ever before. You know, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And he had a revelation that the Lord was the healer and the devil was the oppressor. And that, I mean, because there was this theology still then that, well, maybe it was God's will. And he discovered, no, no sickness is God's will. He just had a revelation. It burst in his heart. No sooner had that revelation happened, someone knocks on the door. So-and-so, sister so-and-so, a 20-something-year-old girl is dying. Come quick. So he comes running into the house. She's screaming and yelling and grinding her teeth because she's about to die of this plague. And he walks in. And, uh, and, and the, the, the minister, uh, not the minister, yeah, it was another minister said, she's about to die. And he, said, and he rebuked the guy. He said, no, she'll live and not die. That was a strong statement. So he reached over and he prayed and he rebuked the sickness and she passed out. And they said, oh, she died. He said, she's not dead. She's going to wake up hungry. Go fix her something to eat. And she was out a few hours, woke up first thing she wanted was something to eat. They said after that day, not one of his people died. In the plague, not one, not another. So he comes to America, sets up these healing rooms in Chicago because of the World's Fair, but he sent representatives here. And in that conference in 1885, he launched something in the realm of the Spirit. And that's when it began to take off on a corporate level. Then you begin to see, you know, at the turn of the century, these healing movements and what happened at Azusa Street and, and of course, the Welsh Revival. And, and so when I was in Bridgend, I was just walking the people through the history, beginning in 1885, walking th them through the significance of what happened with Charles Parham, what happened with, with, uh, uh, with Evan Roberts, of course, and what had happened with uh, William J. Seymour. And I went right on through into the Latter Rain Revival, through the Charismatic, and I brought them up to current date. And so I had been there a few days, and they had put us in this kind of a castle-looking hotel place. You know, it wasn't a hotel, but, you know, it was a castle converted to a, a bedding place. There was no TV, no nothing, no Internet, no nothing. So I, I was completely disconnected from the, other, the outside world for about four or five days. We come in on, on, a, on a, a Saturday morning, I guess it was. Something told me, said, you better go check your emails. So I go check my emails, and lo and behold, Hurricane Katrina is bearing down right where I live. 
I had no idea. And so we had to cut the trip short. So that Saturday, they took me to Mariah Chapel. And the first time I'd been there, you know, where the Welsh Revival was, of course you know that. And I got behind the pulpit. And I stood there. And I, and I tried to envision what it was like when Evan Roberts would preach. And I saw something. From the right corner of the room, I saw a cloud come billowing in like this. Just and came over the and I saw it in the spirit. I didn't see it in the natural. I just saw it. I, it was a vision. I saw this cloud, but it was billowing. It was rolling like that. And I said, what is that? And the Lord said, it's the spirit of conviction, something your generation knows very little about. And I knew that was what he had, that a spirit of conviction would fall on that room. And it was a great encounter. We spent you know, a couple of hours there. So I go back to Bridgen. It's Saturday evening now. I'm about to preach my last message. It wasn't anything related to what I was about to hear from the Lord. They're doing worship. They're about to end the last song. I'm standing there thinking about what I'm going to share, and the Lord has a, an audible, echoing, booming voice inside of me. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Just like that. And I went, I know. <laughs> that's, that's what I said. I didn't know. I I, I know. And instantly, Deuteronomy 31 dropped into me, and I heard it. I am now 120 years old, and I'm not going to cross over but Joshua. I heard that scripture inside. Then that voice, after a few seconds, said, How long has it been since the seeds of modern Pentecost have been sown? Well, you have to remember, I had just taught, but I had, ne- I had never done the math. I had just taught, it began in 1885. And I thought, well, let me think. Okay, this is 2005, and it began in 1885. Well, that's 120 years. And I knew that the Moses generation was coming to an end. And there's multiple applications of that. I mean, William Branham, when he was commissioned in 1946, an angel came. And you might say, well, how do we know the angel, the visitation was real? Well, he launched a worldwide revival. (laughs) pretty good indication that the visitation was real there were testimonies of healings beyond off the charts but an angel appears and he says fear not for i'm sent from the presence of almighty god and i'm sent to tell you that you're to carry the gift of healing to the nations of the earth you're going to pray for kings and princes and monarchs he said how can that be i'm a poor man i'm an uneducated man i live among poor people and the angel said as moses was given two signs so will you so he was commissioned in the order of moses And the last movement was a Moses movement. And what that means was the people were brought out, but how do you know we're not in? We're not in the promise yet. If this is the promise, we're in big trouble. But we're on the bank of the Jordan again. Because that generation, without a shadow of doubt, the whole healing movement that existed from 1946 until 1956 was to bring a generation out. And if you'll notice the commissioning of Moses, the Lord said, bring them out and take them in. But he didn't take them in, did he? He brought them out in just the same way that movement brought people out of cold formal religion, caught them out and brought them out of the organizational spirit that kept people bound and divided and separated and powerless and all these things. But the people in the, in the they came out for healing, but they went right back in to what made them sick to begin with. And in 1956, the prophet, several prophets said that it's over. The door of opportunity is shut. Just exactly the way it was in the days of Moses, they brought the people out, th- out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, came up to the, to the bank of the Jordan. 
They saw the giants in the land, and they ran and had to, and we've been wandering ever since. This whole movement has been to bring us all the way back around, and now we're back at Kadesh Barnea. You might say, how, how quick is it going to take to go over? Well, it's a seasonal thing. It's going to take a, it's going, it's not something that happens overnight, but I believe we're on the bank right now. And here's what happened. This is what this scripture in Deuteronomy 31 is all about. The Bible, it says that a new command was given to Joshua. The next screen. A new command was given to Joshua generation. God's priests were to take the book of the covenant and open it during the Feast of Tabernacles while they were in the land of promise and articulate it to the people. I'm not going to read the whole scripture, but it's Deuteronomy 31 verses 9 through, oh, that's way back, that's way too far. Back up to uh, screen B. <laughs> I'm only on B. <laughs> so anyway, here's the deal. Remember? The prior generation was the Moses generation. You guys believe that? Yes. I mean, you can look at the attributes of it. But at the end of Moses' life, something very unique happened. He gathers Israel. He, and he actually tells them in Deuteronomy 29, he says, You know what? Y'all have seen all these great miracles that God did, but to this day he hadn't given you eyes to see or ears to hear and a heart to understand. Meaning it, it requires the people to have revelatory anointing for us to go where we have to go. But anyway, he says, I'm about to die. You know, the Lord told me to get my house in order. Joshua's about to take you over, and he, begin, and he begins to recite a portion of the covenant. And he actually wrote down, I've, I've done a study from many rabbis. Some people thought that he may have written the whole book of Deuteronomy. Some people think that he wrote a portion of the book of Deuteronomy. But whatever it was, at that point in time, when Moses was about to die, Joshua was about to emerge with anointing, God renewed the covenant with Israel. He told them the blessings and the cursings, and there was a renewal of the covenant for the new generation. And we're a new generation that didn't know about what happened in the prior generation. So we've been experiencing, I think part of the honoring of the fathers has been to a renewal of the covenant. And so there was a renewal of the covenant. It was put, it was put down in some written form and put into the ark, uh, on the side of the ark of the covenant. And so the commandment was a new commandment. This was something fresh. This was, this was an alteration of what they had known before. But Moses said, I'm about to die. Joshua's going to take you over. But every feast of tabernacles... When there's the remission of debts and what have you, take the book and read it before the people. And so therefore, it became known as the Feast of the Open Book, where the people heard it. Now, I'm going to move very quickly through something because I want to get to a very important part. So, uh uh-oh, that's me. You got it? Go to screen uh, where it says, number one, it was to be read at a specific time. There we go. There we go. You like my graphics? Yeah. I actually did that. I, I did. I, my son used to do all the PowerPoints, and I thought, you know what? I'm not that dumb. I'm going to figure out how to, how to do it. <laughs> Took me a whole day, uh, entire day, but I did this, power, this whole PowerPoint. I did myself. I thought I was, you know, that's proof, proof that miracles happen because I, but if you read the whole, I'm having to move a little quickly, but if you read the passage, it was to be read at a specific time. Not in Passover, not in Pentecost, but in Tabernacles. In the, when the Feast of Tabernacles was to be fully realized, the book is to be opened. The seals are going to be broken. Everything that's been hidden will be revealed. The hidden manna will be eaten by the overcomers. The secrets and the mysteries that prophets and sages and, and, and teachers and matriarchs and patriarchs have been longing for. What Abraham wanted to see so bad, you and I are going to get to see. 
It was, it was concealed. It had to be. I'm going to show you by the Bible, both the Old and New Testament. So at a specific time, it was to be opened and read. The Feast of Tabernacles, what we're moving into. Number two, it was to be read at a specific place in the land of promise. Not in the wilderness. This commandment that Moses gave them, he said, don't do this over here on this side of the Jordan. When you cross over into that land, then this is to be inaugurated. And then you're to take the book and you're to read it to all the people. Everyone was to hear the law, to obey it, to, to walk under the blessings. I have a, a scripture, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. I won't go into that right now, but you can read it later. Number three, it was to be read by a specific group, God's priests. We are a priesthood of believers. First Peter 2, 5. Are we on that one? Yep, there we go. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Now here's the deal. I'm going to talk just a little bit about this priesthood emerging. Times of separation. Next screen. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This is Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. That is almost a direct quote from Revelation chapter, I mean, I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 44, where it says the sons of Zadok, the ones that remained faithful during times of apostasy, were, were given this incredible privilege to minister to the Lord. He said, you're going to dine with me and I'll dine with you almost verbatim what it says in Revelation 3.20. Now, listen carefully, because this is where we have been moving over the last several years and we are now. The Bible says that we are priests and kings, right? Yes. But listen, when are the priests and kings revealed? We, show me where they are. Show me where there are people functioning with kingdom authority. I mean, we see some people emerging with a measure here and there, but we haven't really seen them. Why? Because the Bible says, worthy is the lamb. Revelations 5, 9. Worthy is the lamb to take the book and break its seals. When is that done? In tabernacles. Take the book and break its seals, for thou wast slain. Listen carefully to the language of Revelations 5, 9. Thou wast slain and purchased for God men of every nation, tongue, tribe, and kingdom. Whatever's in that book is directly related to the harvest. Yes, yes, yes. Worthy is the lamb to take the book yes. because he, he, you know, we purchase with his own blood men of every nation, tongue, tribe, that's harvest. And, it goes on to say, he has made them to be priests and kings. So what we need to begin to function as priests and kings is going to be unfolded during the days of tabernacles. When the book is opened when the seals are broken, when the mysteries of the kingdom are fully appropriated. We've seen it come in seed form in, a, in the prior generation. The Moses generation brought it to us in seed form, but no generation has yet appropriated the revelation of it. No generation is living in the fullness of it. We're not functioning yet as a priest, but, what, but right there in Revelation chapter 3, you see both the priest and the king anointing. Revelation, because Revelation 3, the last portion of it, is the Laodicean church, right? It is the church age that is most descriptive of our generation. And Revelation chapter 3 and 20 says that, um, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone should hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and dine with him, and he'll dine with me. You know what that is? That's your priestly ministry. That's you functioning as a priest. Read Ezekiel 44. The Zadoks. 
the sons of Zadok, those that remained faithful during times of apostasy, were rewarded this opportunity to dine with him and he with them. So, so in Revelation 3.20, when we respond, so how does the Lord knock on the door and what does his voice sound like? It comes through the prophets. Read, read Daniel chapter 9, where it talks about the, the voice of the Lord coming to us through the word of the prophets and through the revelatory anointing. There was a revelatory message not just prophets, I shouldn't even say that, but there is a revelatory message that is the voice of God. And what is the voice doing? The voice is saying, come be joined to me, not to some institution. That's what it's saying. That's, and as we do that, as we, as we do that, then we begin to minister to him and he ministers to us. And listen carefully, because the very next verse in Revelation chapter 3, I'm not, I'm not letting you read the scripture because I'm doing this now for the sake of time. Read it later. It's all on tape. But we, we minister to him in this priestly exchange, which is vertical. But says, and then to him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame to sit with my father. King. That's your king anointing. See, throne is king. If you're sitting on a throne, you're a king. <laughs> So we first minister as a priest. We come out of that priestly experience. Haven't you heard? How much have we heard about intimacy? See, that's Revelation 3.20. That's the priestly response. The priest ministers to the Lord. We, don't, we think the priest has to go out and teach the people. That's a minor responsibility compared to ministering to the Lord. So we minister to the Lord and we come out of that endued with the power to overcome. So what do you have to overcome? The Laodicean spirit, number one. You have to overcome lukewarm Christianity. And if you're here, I, to say, I would say you're an overcomer. <laughs> Not many lukewarm people would still be here by now, but I don't think. So we, but there's other things to overcome, but clearly that's one of them. We have to overcome everything in those seven church ages. So the point I'm making is that when the, seven, when the book is being opened and, and the seals, I don't have time to go into all that, and I, I'm not getting into eschatology. What I'm getting into is what is, what is apparent what is obvious for us now that we can begin to devour the book. That, we're, that no longer, or can we say, well, that's reserved for later. No, it's reserved for today. If it's not for today, there won't be time later on. It's for now. Mysteries that have been, that have been hidden are being revealed. The mystery of godliness. The mystery of the one new man. All the mysteries of the union experienced between the bride of Christ and the, and the bridegroom. All these mysteries. What does it mean? What is it going to look like? What does it mean when the Lord himself tabernacles in a body of people and the parousia of God comes into them and all these incredible revelations that we've only speculated about, we're about to realize. Some people are going to walk in them. And that's us. That's you and I now. Number four says that it was a model for leadership and I... Uh, you're on C. Okay, that's okay. We'll jump over to C. Great kingdom mysteries. All right, now here's, here's where it's important. It's 9.15. I'll try to be done by 9.30, all right? I don't want to keep you too long. You guys are okay? All right, I won't, I won't be in a hurry. I just feel like I'm wearing you out. I promised my wife I wouldn't preach these two-hour sermons anymore, but don't tell her. Just don't, don't tell her. But anyway, this, this is important. I want you to see this, Okay. Great kingdom mysteries were revealed to Daniel, but concealed in a book until the end of time generation. There you have the scripture. I want to read it because it's important. Those who have insight, see, there's that revelatory anointing again in it, will shine brightly like the expanse of heaven. I want to stop right there. You know what, you know what the model for harvest is? 
Now listen, I appreciate every street evangelist. I, you know, these guys do it. I, I'm not call. I, I, I couldn't do that. I would run people off. I don't know. I, I just that's not my call. I so appreciate the gift of that. But you know what? You know what the model for harvest is. He, he's trying to light you up. He is trying to make you to be illuminated. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 13. The Son of Man will send forth when? At the end of the age. At the time of the harvest. At the time that tabernacles is revealed. Because harvest is a tabernacles term. Which, by the way, you know what was harvested in in the fall harvest? The harvest of the seventh month? Oil and wine. But anyway. So, what was I saying? Oh, Matthew chapter... I got on the oil and the wine part. I, I, <laughs> but anyway, Matthew thirteen forty one says, The Son of Man will send forth His angels that gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and everything offensive. That it, and then it said, of course, the tares are burned. That it says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun. So we see that in the end of Jesus himself, the words of our Savior said, the end of the age is the harvest, and at that time I'm seeing, I've seen them. That's the whole book of angels that gather. So I, the very fact that they're here means that we're in the end time. Jesus said so. And, and part of their role is to remove stumbling blocks that we discover now are not only before us, but within us, the Lord told me. When I first brought this revelation, I was so ready for him to move some stumbling blocks out of the way, and I was in the furnace. And I said, what's up, Lord? And he said, he said this clearly. He said, you let me remove the stumbling blocks within you, then I'll remove the ones before you. And the Lord has been restraining us. You need to understand that. The Lord has been restraining us only so that we can walk in what he's called us to give us. And so we've been having the stumbling blocks removed, stumbling blocks of shame, stumbling blocks of bitterness, stumbling blocks. And most every person that I have met, that is being groomed to walk as a son of the kingdom has been through hell in their youth. They have. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if, if the devil has noticed it, whether the devil has recognized it somehow and has set a, set a course to destroy them. But I'm talking about some of the most anointed people that are emerging right now have been through incest. They've been through abuse. They've been abused by family members. They've been beat up. They've been, you name it, they've had it happen to them. And I don't understand that. Except to say that the Lord has shown me that he only allowed that knowing that they would come out of it and would stand before him and say, now I want some justice. Amen. Amen. And because justice is going to be a principle of the kingdom. Have I ever shared with you guys that I saw the stoning of Stephen? I'll share this because it's important. I think it's going to be important to some of you. But I, I saw the stoning of Stephen. <clears throat> and... Uh, I knew the mindset of the people. They looked at Stephen as a bright rising star of the, of the early church because he fed the hungry, took care of widows, healed the sick, cast out devils. I mean, he, he was, they looked at him as, you know, to replace Peter, James, and John. And so when he was being stoned, the people thought, God's not going to let this happen. But he was being stoned. Then they thought, well, even if he dies, God will raise him up. And so I was watching this whole th- this thing in a vision as the stones were hitting Stephen and I saw as the final stones hit him, you know, the, the Bible says Stephen looked up into heaven. The Bible says the heavens opened and they saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Remember that? So in my experience, all that happened just that way except for this other part, which I think was just for me, just from my teaching experience. So, the, you know, Stephen looks into heaven. The Lord stands to his feet. And in my experience, just as Stephen was falling, 
to the earth dead, the Lord pointed his finger at the devil and said, that one's going to cost you. Just like that. And it, it rattled the heavens. It scared me. And I knew that, I knew that he was in big trouble. And, there, and I saw that there was an undeniable link between the stoning of Stephen and the reaping of Paul. That, the, that, that Satan took God's number one man, so God took his. See? And, and, the, and, the, and the thing was, now, and this is, this is my whole thing, the Lord said, you know what? He'd have been a lot better off leaving Stephen alone. Because now he's got to deal with Paul. And Paul is ten times worse now than Stephen ever would have been. See? And, and, and the thing is, Stephen shared in the fruit of Paul's ministry. I believe Stephen had a revelation. I believe that he knew there was a spiritual dynamic that was going to reap this, the greatest tormentor of the church of that day. There wasn't anybody on the earth that was doing more damage to the church than, the apostle, than Saul of Tarsus. Nobody. And, and so the reaping of Paul set the devil back years. The Bible says they had years of prosperity, the years of peace. And so the point is, this is what I'm saying to some of you people that have gone through that. The devil been better off leaving you alone. Because when you, it's a principle. It is a divine principle that when you come, God allowed that. The Lord told me one time, I've actually written it, but I borrowed it from the Lord. He said, the pain of your past was the preparation of your future. And I saw myself in a future meeting, and I knew that everything, I, and, this, and to be honest, this is what released me to really forgive my father. Within a year, he was saved, and within months of that, he died. So, I mean, I knew there was a dynamic going on there that was necessary, but I saw what all went on. With, I mean, I, what went on with my father and I was bad. I mean, he used to beat the stew out of me. And, but it did something. It did something that God, that I needed. It did something to my soul that God knew I wouldn't need. It didn't do me much good until I got it sanctified because I lived under the shadow of that most of my adult life. And I was totally unrelational and just had anger issues and would hit somebody if they crossed me. I mean, it was bad up until like it's a good thing I got saved. But anyway, but I came up angry and it did say twisted my soul. Took years to get free. But when I finally, the Lord took me in a vision, he was right there with me. And he, he pointed and he said, and I saw myself in a future meeting and I saw God coming down in the glory. And, and I said, oh, Lord, how many more years have I, have I got to wait to be ready for that? And he said, I didn't just start preparing you for that. He said, I started preparing you for that the day you were born. And I saw that everything I went through in my youth was his plan to prepare me for that. And I thought, oh, man, if, if that is the fruit of that, then I can embrace that. But I had to have a revelation of it. You understand? That's when he said the pain of your past was the preparation of your future. And I'm saying that to you. There's some of you that need to have that revelation. But here's what it says. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the time, to the end of time. Very specific language. The end of time generation. Those that are on the earth just before the Lord returns, many shall go back and forth, and knowledge shall increase. But as for me, I heard but could not understand, Daniel said. And I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of all these events? He said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Two different scriptures in the same, same chapter. So here is the scenario. 
Daniel, this great prophet. By the way, Daniel is a, I'm, I'm throwing so much information out at you. I'm sorry. I apologize. But you're pulling it out of me. I can't help it. But Daniel is a prototype of the generation he foresaw. There are going to be some Daniels emerging today. Daniel was a prototype of the generation he foresaw. And Gabriel brought this incredible revelation. And it was put in a book somehow. And it was so fantastic. He said, what, is, what does this mean? He said, it's not for you, Daniel. Now, isn't that just like the Lord? <laughs> to see the most fantastic revelation of your life and then be told you're going to die and never see it come to pass. Holy cow. And so he said, you're going to die and be with your fathers. He said, it's going to be sealed up and it's going to be taken, you know, it's going to be for the end time. So when is the next time we see that? Revelations chapter 5. I saw, do number D now. Yep, you're already there. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back. That's the very book that was sealed by Daniel. Sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. (laughs) Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and to break its seals. Every revelation has a threefold application. First is the revelation. First is the interpretation of the revelation. And third is the, is, the, is the real benefit of it, the application of the revelation. The book was revealed. I don't have time to go into that, but just look at Revelation 6 and you see a revelation of the book. Revelations 10, 1 through 7 is an interpretation. If you'll just accept what, I, you know, what we're teaching, there was some interpretation that came a generation ago. There were seeds of interpretation. We had more understanding. A prophet received a revelation concerning this book that was beyond anything that was, was understood before. But note, they, they never saw the fullness. Why? Because we had to wander again. So the, the important aspect of this is that now you and I are about to experience the application of it. That's the most important part. The strong. So where are we right now? The Moses generation, oh man, I sure wish I had some more time, but the Moses generation, the prior generation did Revelations chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. The Lord coming down out of heaven, clothed in a cloud with a rainbow upon his head, with his feet like pillars of fire. Those of you that have studied the latter rain revival, what was the one phrase that represented the manifest present that was used most often? Pillar of fire. He set his feet on the earth, on the land and the sea, like pillars of fire, representing the manifested presence, the parousia, the fullness, the Spirit of God, the same thing that came down on, on the Lord Jesus when he was baptized in the Jordan River. The heavens opened, and the Spirit descended as the appearance of a dove, the fullness of the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, counsel and might, knowledge and revelation, and fear of the Lord, etc. And that's what the bride of Christ will function in. And so we saw a generation ago a reintroduction of the ministry according to the sevenfold spirit of God. And we saw that, that the book was beginning to be revealed. But because the generation had, had missed the door of opportunity, now we are the Joshuas that are about to experience the last aspect of, Daniel, of Revelation chapter 10. And this is what it said. This is where we are. Then the voice. You go to the one that says the strong angel offers. 
One more after the next one, I think. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me. Now, this is Revelation chapter 10. This is where you and I will experience the, the, the book. I heard again speaking with me and saying, go, take the book which is now open in the hand. It was sealed in Daniel's day, but now it's open. Now the Lord is coming down. We saw some interpretation in the prior generation, but now we are the Joshuas that are going to carry the people over into the promise. Why? Where is the, where is the book opened? In the land of promise. In the land where the Lord begins to tabernacle in his bride. In the land where we begin to demonstrate the, the message of the kingdom. When we begin to taste the good word of God and the power of the age to come. So he sets his foot on the land and the sea, and he offers it now to the bride. John is representative of the bride. He says, take the book and eat it because it will be sweet in your mouth, but it'll be bitter in your stomach. So I went to the angel, tell him to give me a little book. He said to me, take it and eat it. Make your stomach bitter. Your mouth will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was in my mouth, as, it, as he had said, sweet in my mouth, bitter in my stomach. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many nations, tongues, tribes, and kingdoms. There is a prophetic message. Now, when the phrase is used, nations, tongues, tribes, and kingdoms, what is that a representation of? Gentiles. Now, we, we know that this is directly... You're getting awfully quiet on me. That's either real good or real bad. Are you, tra- are you tracking with me? All right. You can hear a pin drop in here. I'm t- <clears throat> but when you see that phrase, you must prophesy to many nations, tongues, tribes, and kingdoms, that means that the contents of the book that is now open, the mysteries that were seen by Daniel, concealed, held in the right hand of the Father. Why? Because someone worthy had to come. Moses wasn't worthy. Enoch wasn't worthy. William Branham wasn't worthy. Only the Lord Jesus Christ was worthy to take the book from the Father's hand. And he actually broke the seals in the days of John. But nobody understood them for 2,000 years. Why? Because it wasn't for their day. The Bible says the Lord took the books and broke the seal. Did he not? John said, they said, come and see. So the seal was broken, but we have absolutely no clue what all that means. We've had, you can go to a bookstore and, and you'll have one having the white horse God and one having the white horse the devil. And somebody's wrong because it's not both. So we need a plumb line. We need a pure revelatory word so that we understand what that revelation is because the mysteries revealed to Daniel is what will present the bride of Christ without spot or wrinkle. The Bible says we'll be without spot or wrinkle, will we not? And what we need to begin to walk and function as priests and kings is in, this, is in the revelation of the book. Now, am I, am, I, am I prophesying another book? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> it's all right here. It's all right here in 66 books of the Bible. But can I tell you, we scarcely know this. I prophesy to you, you're about to see understanding of this word coming out in the next seven years that will revolutionize the meaning of Christianity. It will happen. We're going to begin to understand the Father's heart like it's never been understood before. You're going to read a passage and say, I've read that scripture a thousand times and never even saw that. God knows how to conceal something until it's time to be revealed. Those, those great priests, they studied the prophetic scriptures for 400 years, and the Lord came and they still didn't know who he was. Who he, was see? he knows how to hide something. And I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's all here. But we're going to read it like a new book. We're going to eat it. We're not going to read it. We're going to eat it. We're going to eat it. And the Bible says you must prophesy again. I'll tell this last story because I hope I'm losing my voice a little bit. 
but it will, it will give you a picture, maybe a graphic one. But I, I've been studying this for years. I've had some revelatory encounters. I know I went through this in a hurry, but just study these things and see if they're not so. The Feast of Tabernacles is the Feast of the Open Book. We are the Joshuas now that will begin to take the book and begin to open it. And, and the mysteries are going to be revealed. And we're going to contend for truth and the spirit of truth. You know, the Bible says he'll guide us into all truth. He even says, Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. See, we're going to be presented sanctified. And we have, we have stained garments. You know how we stain it? By believing a lie for the truth. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart and who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood. Meaning I have not dedicated my soul to something that's false. And we get our robe stained by believing a lie. And so I, I was contending for understanding about revelations. And I, I said, Lord, you know, help me out a little bit on this issue of eating the book and it's sweet in my mouth but bitter in my stomach. And, you know, I have this picture of, you know, and, and, I, and I said, surely, you know, it's not that, is it, Lord? And in 2006, I guess it would have been, John Kilpatrick, who was the pastor of Brownsville Revival. You guys know about Brownsville? Okay, John's become a good friend of ours. We have, we have meals together all the time. But this was one of the first times. And I had a lot of questions about Brownsville, you know. And, and so he, he's sitting to my right. Rick Joyner's here. My wife is in the kitchen cooking. <laughs> and she, she, heard, she, could, she could hear, though. But anyway... So I turned to John. I said, you know, John, Brownsville could have been a lot more than just repentance, couldn't it? And he said, absolutely. He said, I remember the night the healing anointing came. Now, you've got to remember, nobody knew I had this question before the Lord. If you eat the book, it's sweet in your mouth, but bitter in your stomach. Why? Because you can't keep it in. It's going to be like a fire locked up in your bones just coming out. You're going to open your mouth and you're going to prophesy, whether you're a prophet or not, see? So I had that, that image in my mind. Nobody knew about it. So I said, John, it could have been more. He said, absolutely. He said, I remember the night the healing anointing came. He said, we were a year or so into the revival. Lindo Cooley. And he said, this is interesting. You, you leaders, you might want to. He said, I, he said, one thing I battled every night of the revival. He said, every night I went to the revival, I wondered, was last night the last? I never thought about that. You know, you just... You know, he said, every night I'm thinking, Lord, are you going to show up? Because if you don't, it's really going to be bad. <laughs> 3,000 people are packed in, thousands are waiting outside. Lord, if you don't show up, it's going to be ugly. And every night, he said, every night the Lord came at a different time in a different way. Doesn't he do that way today? You know, one minute he comes during worship, one minute it's during the offering. <laughs> you know, next to me. So he's sitting there on the podium. Lyndall Cooley is leading worship. And, and the worship, he said, well, really wasn't that good. <laughs> He said, I looked up, and right in front of the pulpit, he has a big wooden pulpit. I've preached in this church, and it's a big wooden pulpit, the former church, Brownsville at the time. And he said, right in front of the pulpit were two big blue orbs of light. Now, this is a very conservative Assembly of God pastor who's not prone to revelatory things like that. And, he, and he, this is just the way he said it. sat at my table. He said, Lord Jesus, what in the world is that? That's a pretty good thing to ask, you know. At least he asked the right person. He said, what is that? The Lord said, it's my healing anointing. Get up and release it. So he said, I jumped up right in the middle of worship. He said, I grabbed them. This is his language. I'm going to quote him. So I'm not meaning to be base. But 
He grabbed the microphone and he said, Paul Keith, he said, this has never happened to me in my life. He said, I grabbed the microphone, got right by the pulpit. He said, I opened my mouth and began to vomit out revelation. That's what he said. That was his word. He said, I've never, he said, I opened my mouth and pointed my finger up in the balcony and started calling out medical conditions that I didn't even know what they were. He said, I'd never heard the words before in my life. He said, I pointed my finger and called out another one, pointed over here and called out. He said, words were coming out of his mouth that he didn't even know what they were, much less how to pronounce them. And he, and he used that term. He said, I was vomiting out revelation. Then he, then he said this. And he probably didn't want this known, but I've told it all over the world. I mean, there, every nation on the earth has heard this story. But he, he said, and I pointed my finger right in this section, and he said, somebody back here is suffering from, and named a word that sounded like it was Latin. And he said it was some weird term he had no, but he said it. He said, somebody is suffering from, he said, Paul Keith, when I said that term, he said a six-inch shaft of light, a six-inch long shaft of blue light, he said, came out of my mouth and started shooting through the crowd. Now, you have to understand, John Kilpatrick is a very conservative individual. He's, I mean, he's, you understand. That's why I don't think he would want anybody to know about it. It's too late now. But listen to this, though. Now, he, all he did was point his finger in a direction. He called out a condition that he knew, had no idea what it was. The shaft of light comes out of his mouth, and it goes shooting through the crowd. you got thousands of people past this person, around this person, over this person, and he said it hit a woman right in the chest, and she screamed like an Indian. I'm, I'm, I'm Cherokee Indian, so I can say that. I, I, so, I, oh, man, one time I was in one nation, I, 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 I said something. I said, and this man demonized came in cussing like a Russian sailor. Like, I had 25 Russians sitting right there. I did. It was in Dudley. It was in Dudley. I thought, oh, God. So I've been careful with my euphemisms now. I don't, you know, but I'm an Indian. I'm, I'm Cherokee Indian, so I can say that. Scream. So in other words, nobody else saw the shaft of light. Nobody else saw it hit her. And, and nobody knew why she was screaming but John. So he runs down and he says, what happened to you? She said, I, I suffer from what you, call, what you just said. It's a degenerative bone condition. Been all over the world, all over Europe. Every doctor we've heard about that has any understanding of this condition we've been to, nobody can help me. She said, this morning I prayed, Lord, if you don't heal me tonight, I don't want to live another day. And God instantaneously healed her. And he, as soon as he said that, I said, well, John, I got the scripture. He sent his word and he healed them. You have no idea what comes out of your mouth. When you, when you declare something, it comes out of your mouth and it might hit someone and it'd be the very thing they need. You don't, we don't see into the realm of the Spirit. We don't know what comes on. Do you know light comes out of your hands when you stretch your hands out to pray for people? We've seen it. When it was virtue comes out of your innermost being, right up out of you. How many times you said, well, extend your hands towards this system we pray. Listen, that's more than just an exercise in futility. Something is coming out of you, and it's going in, into the area, and it's releasing the anointing. So don't ever be flippant, because I used to be. And I don't have time to tell the story of how that changed, but, I, but it's changed forever. But my, my point in all of that was that I felt like without John even knowing it, he gave me what I feel like is the accurate interpretation that as we devour the word, you know, it's going to be so much so that, we, that we're going to prophesy it when we talk. When we have a conversation, we're going to prophesy. We're going to talk about the kingdom and it's going to have life. It's going to come out of you because you can't keep it in. It's an involuntary action. It's going to come out. See? 
And in the midst of that, and I, I didn't even have time to get into this, but in the midst of us eating the book, the Bible says it's going to cause us to be illuminated. The revelation of this book will make you shine like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and lead many to righteousness. Well, you know, you know what that means, don't you? What led the, the wise men to, to Bethlehem? A bright star leading them to righteousness. You understand? So you're going to shine like a star in the heaven and you're going to walk along and people are going to follow and you don't even know, they don't know, don't, don't know why. And we're seeing this happening. I, and I don't mean to talk about anything that's going on in our ministry, but, but we've had some experiences where that inner glowing is coming out. And, and, we're, and people are beginning to shine. And the Lord's let us have a little taste of it. Some of us have been caught on cameras. One meeting I, well, I did, and I, I don't mean to point myself out, I'm just trying to say it's now. I'm, I'm trying to tell you it's not something way down the road. But five different people got really excited because I was talking and this light came all around me. And that's not about me. Don't misunderstand me. I think God just did that to keep me from getting discouraged that our message is real, that God's going to do it. I, I, don't, I don't mean to say that we're there because I'm, I'm contending for this. But I want you to contend for it too. This is a message for the universal bride of Christ. Whether you're in the UK, whether you're in Alabama. <laughs> this is for the bride of Christ. This is what will empower us for the harvest. It will bring us into the place of... All of it is, is intertwined. Everything that makes the hungry person get out of bed in the morning. It's all here. It's all intertwined in this revelation. The intimacy, the authority, the power to do greater works. The, whole, the access to the heavenly realm, the holiness issues, all of it is all right here in what God is going to do from now to the time he comes. And I don't believe that's as far off as many people think. I mean, we have a couple of decades, but I don't, I don't, think, I don't think it's 60, 50, 60 years away. I don't. I think we've got seven years to bring in the laborers. I believe we have seven years, a window of seven years. You might say, well, how come the economy? Why should that surprise anybody? Didn't the Bible say darkness would cover the earth and deep darkness? Then that's the very time you rise and shine. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for everyone. <clears throat> thank you, Lord. It feels so good in here. I hope you guys feel as good as I do. It, it really feels good. <clears throat> Are there pastors and leaders in here? Some pastors or leaders of ministries. You understand what I mean by that? Could you stand to your feet if you are? pastor or leader of a ministry, I, I felt like the Lord said very clearly to me today to pray over pastors or the leader, you know what I mean by a leader of a ministry, <clears throat> that there's going to be something released in regard to, to ushering in this, and, and I'm just going to release a forerunner anointing on you, mm. uh, just a forerunner anointing to fall. <clears throat> I just feel a lot of grace coming to you guys, so I just release it right now. Every one of these leaders, I release grace and favor in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That a forerunner's anointing, a pioneer's anointing would rest upon every one of them. That they would be released into this purpose in Jesus' mighty name. God grant it. God in heaven grant it. Grant it, grant it, grant it. And the word of counsel is going to come to you. I gave a word to your husband today that he needs to share with you. You're going to have to not hold back because the Lord is going to use you to give counsel and direction. And I release it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let it come. So get him, God. Just fill him up. Fill him up, fill him up, saturating the forerunner's anointing, this forerunner's anointing, a pioneer, people that are brave, people that aren't afraid to make a stand for truth and justice and righteousness. I release it right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Get her, God. <laughs> Just get her, saturate her, saturate, release the anointing. God, and I'm going to step right over you, brother. Come, Holy Spirit.
Come. There we go. There we go. Release it, Lord. See the, the authority realm. The authority realm is where you're moving into. You got pretty good revelation, but I think more revelation is coming. I really feel like there's going to be an equalization of the authority realm. We're going to carry the authority of heaven. And you heard me talking today about what is the necessity of having our, our hearts and minds submitted. Grant it, Lord. Release it. Release it. They can carry this authority. I just release it on everyone. I can't get to all of them, but I just release it on a corporate level right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Pioneers, Lord. Pioneers, Lord. To break, blaze a trail in this region right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to reach over you, brother. Excuse me. Get her, God. Just release that anointing right now in Jesus' name. Now, you people extend your hands towards these people. We just release it. We, right here, just extend your hands towards these that are, that are standing. Lord, give them that anointing. Lord Jesus, feed them the word. Let them eat the hidden manna. Eat the hidden manna in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let it come. Let it come, Lord. There's a real release right now, so whether you're seated or standing, just start pulling on the anointing. Just get what you need. Get what you need right now. Great, <laughs> Lord. Get, get her, God. Get her, God. Just come. Come, Holy Spirit. Just overshadow her right now. And the, oh, there we go. Good. In the name of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> I felt it too. I felt a little wave myself. I got a little backlash. Good. Good. Here we go. Here we go. Keep going. You know what that is? That's revelation there, see. It's a revelatory realm because I can feel it. It's almost like you can go up and get a revelation right now. Good. Just catch the wind. Now, if you're the leader of an intercessory ministry right now, just extend your arms. Just extend your wings. I'm going to put it that way. There's a wind blowing right now. It just came around us right here. Just extend your wings like an eagle and let the wind carry into the revelatory realm of heaven. There you'll find strategy. There you'll find insight. There you'll find out how to cut the head off the devil. Granted, how to cut the head off of Leviathan, off that spirit, off of that religious spirit. God, grant it. Just extend your... There's a wind right there. There it is again. Just a wind that'll carry you into the revelatory realm. Not just tonight, but you need to carry it over in the next several days, next several weeks, that you begin to get revelation on a clear level. If you've never had revelation, right now is the time to get it. If you've never moved... In the, is that you, sir? Okay. I'm just going to release that revelatory mandate on your life. Lord, giving drink, eyes to see, ears to hear... And a heart to understand. Get him, God. Bless this man. This favor on your life, brother. Get him, God. Any person in this room that is not seen by revelation, I release the seer anointing. The Bible says, I advise of you to buy of me gold refined by fire and eye salve that you may see. The Lord wants you to see. So I release it. Eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. Grant it, Lord. Grant it, Lord. You intercessors that just got something, if you would, just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. I think something can shift in the heavens tonight. Something can shift, but I can't do it. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. You can shift the heavens tonight. You can shift something in the heavenly realm over Sheffield tonight. Something that will change. Something that will change the atmosphere. Something that will break something over the, over the realms of darkness. But you've got to do it. I release that anointing right now in the name of... There it is, sister. Good. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Get her, God. Oh, just release it in Jesus' name. Release it, Lord. Release it. Let it come. Let it come. Let the anointing come. Let the revelatory anointing come. 
In Jesus' name. Get him, God. Bless this man. Blessing. Blessing. Let it come. Let it come. Can I pray for you? So let it come. Release your anointing right now. Freedom. 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 In the name of the Lord Jesus. The fullness of God's destiny, purpose, and plan I release in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant it, God. Grant it, God. Grant it, God. Good. I see the anointing over here, too. Excuse me. Just keep praying. Don't stop. Don't stop. There's something that's going to shift. How do you do, sir? Where are you from? From Nigeria. Good. Boy, the anointing's around you. I, can, I looked over here and I saw the anointing over this area. So there's something really key. There's really something key. So I just release the anointing right now. You have the ability to shift the heavens, brother. You have the ability to shift the heavens, begin to open the heavens. Remember when Jacob got a blessing, the heavens opened, and a ladder touched heaven to earth, and angels were ascending and descending. You need to begin to ask the Lord, contend with the Lord to open the heavens and to release that realm on this region right now in Jesus' name. Granite God. Granite God. Keep praying. Keep praying, intercessors. Something's going to shift. Something's going to shift. How you doing? <laughs> get her, God. Just get her. Just get her right now in Jesus' name. Let it come. Lord, shift the heavens tonight, Lord. You know what? I just feel like I feel an indignation that something has gone on long enough. It ends tonight. There's something in the spirit realm that I just feel like the Lord said it ends tonight. It ends tonight. It has to do with that religious thing, I think. But we just declare that it ends tonight. No more. No more to steal. No more to kill. No more to destroy. Tonight, Lord. Tonight it ends. That Sheffield will become a city of refuge. Grant it, Lord. Grant it, Lord. That houses of refuge will emerge in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I release it. I release it over this area, Lord. Let the angels ascend and descend. Let them come down to bring deliverance, to bring salvation, Lord. Let a heavenly realm open up in this region right now, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let it happen. Let it happen, Lord. Let it happen. Let that anointing fill them up, Lord. Let a virtue from heaven come to saturate their souls in the name of the Lord Jesus. Grant it, God. Grant it, God. Grant it, God. Release that anointing. Get her, God. Just release that realm in Jesus' mighty name. I believe some souls are coming in. I believe we're contending for some souls that have been bound by, I believe not only bound by, but wounded by a religious spirit. I really feel like that's what we're calling in. There's some people whose hearts have been turned away because of a religious spirit. We're calling them back in right now. We're going to call them back into relationship, not religion. Relationship, not religion. So we break the power of the wounds of these people, whoever it is, Lord, you know who they are. Send the angels to bring them in, to heal their hearts, to overcome the damage that was done by this religious spirit. But now make them champions. Make them champions, Lord. We just declare it. We just declare it. I feel like... Oh, yes. I feel like... Religious spirits too. Yep. I feel like the Lord wants, he wants to bring some healing to you. Okay, okay, so I just release it right now. I just right now, right now. There we go. There it is, brother. There it is. There it is, right there in Jesus' name. Lord, bring them in. Bring them in. Send the angels that gather. Lord, I'm praying for the spirit of breakthrough to come to this region and release the angels that gather. Lord, let it come. 
that a body of people begin to eat the book, to eat the revelation of Jesus Christ, the book of redemption, the book of the kinsman redeemer, taking up the book of redemption and releasing it back into the earth. That's what this is all about. That's what this is going to do, and I release it. God in heaven, something's shifting. Something is shifting. Get him, God. Just get him. Just saturate his soul right now. Jesus, mighty name. Let it come. Let it come. Come, Holy Spirit. Get him, God. Get him, God. Just set him on fire. Just set him on fire. In Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. The Lord's really got his hand on you. I know I prophesied some things to you, but he's really got his hand on you. I can't remember what I said before, but I can just feel the favor. So I release it in Jesus' name. God in heaven, bless them. Bless them, Lord. Release your anointing. Release your anointing. Release it now. Release the fire. Release it. God in heaven. Well, I feel some authority right in here. Somewhere right in this region, right in here. Some people that are moving with some authority. They're touching God's throne. And I release it. I feel like it's these women right in this area here. So, Lord, let it come. Let it come. Let it come. Let the anointing come, Lord. Let an overshadowing of the anointing, that boldness would overshadow you. Supernatural boldness in Jesus' name. Grant it, God. Grant it, God. I just release these intercessors right here in Jesus' name. I release these warriors of the kingdom in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, let it come. Let it come. Let it come. Well, oh, I see it on these ladies too. Excuse me. You guys married? You guys married? Are you engaged? Good. That's good enough. Let me stand up and pray for you. I love praying for couples. You did good. You got my approval. <laughs>